What's up, guys? This is Jason Romano, host of the Sports Spectrum podcast and author of the book, Live to Forgive and the Uniform of Leadership. And we are listening right now to the Relationships and Revenue podcast with John Hewlin. This is Relationships and Revenue, the show where real answers come from real discussions about what holds men back in their relationships at home and in business. A better bottom line at work means improving life at home. This show is all about helping you become a better entrepreneur and a better man. Welcome back, everybody, to the Relationships and Revenue Podcast. I am your host, John Hewlin. So happy you decided to join us today, and I have a very special guest for you. Jason Romano is with us today. Jason, how are you? What's up, John? How you doing, man? Man, I am fantastic. Doing much better than I deserve. <laughs> Same here. Just glad to be here. This is awesome. Thanks for inviting me on your show. You bet. You bet. Glad to have you here. So listeners, if you are not familiar with who Jason is, let me fill you in. So Jason, as you heard in the intro, he is an author of two fantastic books, by the way. Jason's a speaker. He's been a media professional for over 20 years. He was a producer on ESPN. Excuse me. Emmy award-winning producer, which, and your award is where? Because I don't see it behind you there. It's on the mantle downstairs to show everybody, of course. You got to display an Emmy, don't you? <laughs> well, trust me, I would if I had one, so. <laughs> <laughs> it's down a above the fireplace in the living room. That's where it nice, is. Nice, nice. Yeah. All right. Place of prominence like that, like that. That's right. All right. And so he also mentioned that he is a podcast host as well. He's the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast. And on that particular podcast, you interview, you know, athletes and coaches and entertainers, personalities. But give us, you, it's a bit of a twist. You don't have just anybody on your show. That's right. No, we, we, we could have every athlete that's available, um, but we're a little more selective, I think, because the content that we produce is very, I don't call it niche content, niche content, however you pronounce that word. But we, you know, our goal is to glorify God in all that we do with sports spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so the conversations that we have intersect sports and faith. And okay. so if somebody uh, is on our show, you can, you can guarantee that their faith is important in, in their lives and an important part of their lives. So that's kind of what distinguishes us, I think, from a place like ESPN or Bleacher Report or Fox is that we, uh, are very, in, uh, I guess, uh, intentional about talking about these players, these athletes, coaches, whoever we have on, about their faith in Jesus. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And that's actually a, a nice little segue into something I wanted to talk about uh, briefly for you listeners to let you know. The guest that I have on the show, every single person is on here for a reason. Now, they're not always on here for the same reason. Sure. But, uh, hopefully, by the end of the interview, you'll know why I decided to have Jason on. But uh, there's always a reason for every guest I have on. And the really cool thing is each of the guests either was ahead of time or has become a friend, a friend to me and obviously a friend to the show and hopefully to you all one day as well. And we'll tell you at the end how to get in touch with Jason. All right. So we talked a little bit about you, Jason, and I wanted to mention to the listeners also just some of the things that you worked on 
when you were at ESPN to see if they even recognize some of the names. <laughs> I have a suspicion they might, but you never know. Sure. So Jason worked on shows like Sports Center, Monday Night Football, the Mike and Mike in the Morning, Sunday NFL Countdown, College Game Day, and a whole host of others. So he got his chops on ESPN, and that's how he made his connections in the sports world. Uh, Jason mentioned earlier that his faith is very important to him. Uh, it is to me as well, listeners. And so one of the things I want to talk about, Jason, it's it's twofold. One, I want to talk about you and what you've done and kind of, if, if you wouldn't mind, just take us back a little bit, kind of how you got your start and how you even got into ESPN and then how you transitioned into where you are now. Sure. Uh, you know, John, when I think back to kind of where I am now, it really all starts with being five, six years old and sitting in my grandfather's living room with my grandfather and my dad and watching sports. Mm. Um, they were the ones that introduced me to sports, showed me sports, uh, you know, showed me who, uh, I can remember in my household on a Sunday in the fall, you know, the NFL was always on and my dad is a big giants fan. My grandfather, um, before he passed, he's a huge green Bay Packers fan. And, you know, I watched those games. And of course I didn't choose either of those teams. I became a <laughs> Dallas Cowboys fan because that's what kids do, right? They rebel. Um, and I saw the star on the helmet at five or six years old. And I thought, man, this is amazing. These guys, these heroes of mine, Roger Staubach and Tony Dorsett and Danny White, you know, after Roger retired, like those were my heroes in the early eighties watching sports. And so I developed this passion for sports in many ways. I tell people not just when I was six or seven, but all the way through high school and even into college, you know, sports was in essence, my religion, my God, mm. because I didn't grow up in faith or anything like that really. And have a, a deep rooted uh, interest in who God was or any kind of faith. So sports was, was what the idol was in my life that I ran to, that I gravitated towards, that I put all of my, energy and effort into whether I was playing sports, watching sports, that's all I cared about. And so I credit my time of even getting to ESPN from really those early years of watching sports and studying sports. I mean, I studied it. I had notebooks and I would read the newspaper and fight my brother for the sports page every single morning to <laughs> see the box score back in the eighties, because right. I'm old enough. I'm sure maybe you are, John, I don't want to date you, but oh, I am trust in me. the eighties. That's what we did that we didn't have the internet. So we had to oh. run to the newspaper and see who won the game the night before. And you know, maybe you got a game locally on ESPN that you could watch or a local channel or whatever. But for the most part, you if didn't you have... even had it in your area. Correct. At, at right. Point. Like even Dallas, you know, as I rooted for the Cowboys, yeah. they were on, I would say maybe eight out of the 16 games were on in my household, which is still a lot for a team in Dallas. And growing up, I grew up in upstate New York. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the Cowboys weren't the local team. The Giants were the local team, the Jets. Mm -hmm the Bills, the Patriots, when they got a little bit better. So those were the teams that you pretty much watched every week. And I can completely understand why fans of local teams, you know, stay with those teams because those are the teams that are on every week. Right. Uh, but for me, you know, especially thinking about the 80s, you know, we didn't have satellite TV. We didn't have the internet. We certainly didn't have cell phones. So the only way to keep up with your team, if they weren't on TV, was the sports page the next day or magazines remember sports mm -hmm. illustrated every oh, yeah. week was a, was a must read or even sport magazine which was out once a month like every every 
periodical back then was so more much more valuable than it was now because oh, yeah. now it's saturation and you see it everywhere. But back then it was a big deal. And so that's where I developed my love. It took me all the way through high school into college. I went to, to college specifically for broadcasting because I realized I wasn't going to be a pro athlete. Mm -hmm. So that's where I kind of set the stage, if you will, and started planting the seeds for a journey in this broadcasting world. And that took me after I graduated to local radio in Albany, New York for three years, loved my time there, my hometown, and then moved to Bristol, Connecticut 20 years ago and mm. began that journey at ESPN and, uh, you know, left ESPN three years ago, almost four years ago now, but it's been a, an amazing, I mean, ESPN, what I always tell people is working at a place like that was truly a dream job into the, even further than that, for me, it was beyond what I could dream about. You know, I didn't ever think that I was going to make it to a place like ESPN because it was the Mecca, the worldwide leader. And I just thought maybe if I could even have just a little bit of what that's like to be in broadcasting, that would be great. And I ended up there and worked there for 17 years and I loved every second of it. Uh, it just got to a point, and I know we're going to talk about this as we got older, as I got older uh, and more into my life, I, I wanted to find some more purposeful work and, mm -hmm. uh, you know, God calls us into different directions and different stages and uh, different roads to travel sometimes. And for me, that road three and a half years ago, almost four years ago, changed. And I left ESPN uh, to come and come into this sports spectrum world that I've been doing now for a while. All right. So <clears throat> we're going to talk about that, about the you leaving and the circumstances of you leaving ESPN and getting heading down the road toward where you are now. Cause I know it wasn't an immediate sort of thing. So listeners, I, I want you to understand, first of all, we are recording this in December of 2020. So we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 pandemic and all that sort of thing. And that has had adverse effects on many businesses throughout the United States. And I don't want to get into the whole politics behind it. That's not what this show is about. But <clears throat> it's impacted me and my businesses. So I completely understand that it's had a huge impact on ESPN. And they've, oh, laid, yeah. off, they've laid off many, many people, I, many of whom I'm sure Jason's very good friends with. Yep. And so your move was many years prior to this. So what, what prompted all that to happen? Why make the change? Because if you're at the worldwide leader over three years ago and everything seems to be going well, what could possibly make you want to make that change? Well, interestingly enough, in 2015 was the first time ESPN ever had any sort of significant layoffs. Uh, and that wasn't at a bad time as far as uh, the way the company was running financially. Sometimes I think you just make those cuts, right? And they, they were forced to do that. And that was a lot of behind the scenes people mm. that lost their jobs. And that's when I kind of thought, oh my gosh, that could easily be me. Like some of the people that were let go were there 20, 30 years and, and just oh, wow. legends. And I realized, wait a minute, these people are valuable people to this company and they're just gone. Their jobs were eliminated. Mm. And so that kind of opened my eyes, but I wasn't thinking about leaving. It just made me think, you know, not everybody's safe and that could easily be me. It was around the same exact time that I started to think about I guess I was 41 or 42 at the time. And I started thinking, is this what I want to do the rest of my life? Hmm. Uh, work at ESPN. And I don't think if that answer was yes, that I would have, you know, had any issues with that. But I really, in, in time of prayer and just talking to a few people, 
I, I started to feel this nudge, this tug, whatever you want to call it, um, to kind of explore what that might look like if I was to leave. Uh, cause I'm not, I'm, I'm one of those guys that, you know, I may be accused of this sometimes, but I think for the most part, I'm a pretty rational guy who doesn't just jump on things mm-hmm. the moment they come to, 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 you know, the idea, the, you know, the opportunity, whatever. I'm not just jumping into it. I might get really excited. My wife will tell you like, Oh my gosh, let's go. Here we go. But <laughs> it still requires some thought and some prayer and some real, you know, genuine, I kind of, I'm more of a, a plan guy. You know, I like to lay out plans and see where it might take us and set goals. And so late 2015, I had this opportunity to, to talk to a few people who work in social media, which is what I was doing at that time, mm-hmm. but not for ESPN. The people I was talking to worked for churches, nonprofits, um, faith-based organizations, about 50 people that I was, had the opportunity to talk to at this conference. And Mm. I saw the work that they were doing. I was the only person there, by the way, that worked for a quote unquote secular organization. And I was watching what they were doing and I was fascinated because it's the same stuff I was doing, mm-hmm. but I felt like it was being done for a greater purpose, you know, for a more meaningful purpose. Because for me, my faith, I would say at that time, it still is obviously the most important thing in my life. Yeah. And I just felt like that nudge, as I was saying to Maybe it was from God. I don't know if it was an audible voice, but I never heard an audible voice, but I felt like he was saying, I want you to do more for me. Remember, I'm God. You're in, you're not in charge of, of this world. I am. I want you to do more for me. And I thought, okay, I don't even know what that looks like, but mm-hmm. let me just start pursuing what that might look like. I, I call it active patience, right? So oh, you need to be patient okay. and sometimes when you're in this moment, but you don't sit down and you just sit in your chair and you wait for whatever you're waiting for to stumble into your lap. No, you have to be active in that moment and go out, build relationships, talk to people, you know, hone your skills, all of that. And that's what I did through that in 2016. That was also the last year I worked at ESPN the full year. And I was working on Mike and Mike. I had pivoted uh, in February of 2016 into this new role with Mike and Mike. So I'm really excited Mm-hmm. Love my job, love working on that show, opportunities galore, places to visit, traveling like I'd never traveled at ESPN. I mean, college football playoff, Final Four, Super Bowl, World Series, just NBA Finals, all of these amazing events that I got to be a part of just in 2016 with Mike and Mike. So I'm having the time of my life. I'm loving my job. I really am. But I still felt this tug, this nudge kind of in my spirit. So I spent 2016 off time after I finished working on Mike and Mike's show. We got off around one o'clock or so. I would go home and I would try to schedule meetings, try to schedule time, phone calls with different people who were not in the world of sports, Mm. people that I admired, mentors, authors, even pastors, and just ask them for 20, 25 minutes of their time. Two, Two things came up in those conversations. The first was... I wanted to hear about their journey a little bit, their world, taking them to where they got to, you know, what was the steps and the kind of, the kind of roadmap that that took them to where they were that at that point. And the second thing I was, I wanted to tell them this nudge and this tug that was happening inside of me. I wanted to let them know and just see if they thought I was crazy. Okay. Because if they all said, no, you're nuts. What are you trying to do? Leave ESPN. I felt like that would be wise counsel to say, maybe this isn't the right move to even be (laughs) thinking about this. 
But they all said, listen, this is a really interesting time for you. Maybe this is what God is calling you to, but be patient, keep praying and see where it leads you. And, and that was a, invaluable for mm. me to have that uh, advice and that counsel from people that I trusted in and got to know. And uh, so I patiently waited, actively patiently waited and continued my job on Mike and Mike. And then at the end of 2016 is when I got a call from a guy named Steve Stenstrom, who's my boss now. He was working and is working with a ministry called Pro Athletes Outreach. And they said, hey, Jason, we, we just purchased or acquired Sports Spectrum, which is a sports and faith media company. I said, I know what Sports Spectrum is, trust me. Yeah. And uh, they said, well, we're really looking for somebody to come in and kind of build this brand up from the, from the bottom. Even though it's been around for a long time, we want to kind of treat it as a startup, even though it's not a startup. Okay. I said, okay. What's that look like? They said, well, we want you to, you know, run the website, potentially write articles, be the content creator, but content, you know, uh, operator of all of what we're doing. But we also want you to host and, or we want you to start a podcast. And I said, I'm, I'm really into the idea of a podcast because audio is sort of one of my babies. I love radio. I loved being in radio and working in radio. So the idea of audio and podcast, because I'm a big podcast consumer was enticing but then he said you want we want you to host the podcast and i thought okay i haven't hosted anything since college that's over 20 years ago are you sure you have the right person <laughs> and john i swear i told them i said i i don't think that this is for me <laughs> and they said no 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 look at jason you work with the best hosts in the business at espn you can do this we believe you could do this. It's up to you if you believe you could do this or if you think God's calling you to do this. Yeah. So spent the next couple months really praying about it. I went out and visited the guys in December of 2016. So now that's four years ago. And they offered me an opportunity. I went home to my wife, prayed about it, mm -hmm. and eventually said yes and left ESPN in February of 2017. Now, there's a lot that goes into that decision, but I'll stop there. And then if you want to follow up, we can go that okay. far. Okay. Okay. Um, listeners, I want to be sure to bring up one point. Uh, I don't, not sure we mentioned this earlier. Jason talked about being at a conference and talking to people who were in the social media world, but they were more faith-based or, uh, nonprofit, non nonprofit world yeah. sort of thing. But you need to understand he was doing the same kinds of things with ESPN and Ed, you're at the height of what you were doing there you were in charge of essentially social media that was bringing in two plus million people all the time, like on yeah. a continuous regular basis. I mean, that's, yeah. a, that's a big deal. Yeah. So in 2012, uh, it was when I stepped away from the job I was doing at ESPN as a talent booker. I did that for nine years, a talent producer and wow. kind of line producer cool. And then went into this new social media world at ESPN. They were just starting up social media. And my passion at the time, and still a big passion, is the NFL. And they said, hey, we would love for you to kind of come and start the NFL social media division at ESPN. And I said, well, when you say division, what does that look like? And they said, it looks like you. It's one person. <laughs> but we need your, we needed somebody to start it. What do you think? Oh. And, uh, you know, again, that was an opportunity that I didn't even really dream about or pursue it just came which was mm -hmm. that's one of the few jobs that really just kind of came to me mm -hmm. uh but i and i took that leap but i loved it i mean i got to be a part of a really 
uh, unique opportunity at ESPN and a, a new medium and a new forum and build up the social media. And like you said, it got to about 2 million followers, I think on Twitter. I think it's more than that now, but it was about 5 million followers on Facebook and about a million on Instagram when I, when I stepped down from the NFL side and went to work on Mike and Mike. So we spent, I spent four seasons on the NFL Mm. From 2012 to 2015. Uh, and it was amazing. I mean, it was just awesome. And get, getting to try this new media thing and really kind of hone the skills and learn about social media was pretty cool. Man, sounds like it. Yeah. So um, let's, let's jump into your books for just a minute. Now, two very, very different kinds of books. Yes. So um, Let's talk a little bit about your first one, okay. uh, Live to Forgive. So tell us very briefly, what's it about? Live to Forgive is a story about a story of forgiveness, my personal story of forgiveness in my relationship with my alcoholic father, which was a broken relationship, a very confusing relationship for just about 40 years. So between that opportunity to tell that story, but then to write a book that could also be an app applicable book that you and I could read and actually be able to apply some of the principles about forgiveness that really come rooted from scripture that uh, we can all implement and should implement into our lives. That was the goal with the book. So I wanted to tell my story and that was important because people told me, Hey, you need to tell your story. Yeah. But I also wanted it to be a book that could be applied into people's lives because we all struggle with forgiveness. It's a very difficult topic. I've had people tell me, I got your book, but I just can't read it yet because they're still <laughs> struggling with forgiveness. So I get it. Uh, or they've read it and they've only read parts because they haven't been able to go further because they're, again, still struggling with it. So we all have that issue with that burden of forgiving someone, of being able to move forward when someone we love hurts us. That's why we wrote the book. Okay. Uh, a couple quick points, uh, especially for you listeners out there. The first one is don't die with your story still inside you. Yes. Far too many people do that. You've got a story to tell. Find a way to get that story out. It might not be writing a book, but it could be. Mm -hmm. So let's do that. Uh, the second one, Jason talked about forgiveness and the importance of it. And I will tell you that as as a person of faith for many, many years, I only began to really understand what forgiveness was after my divorce. Hmm. And I had been a, a Christ follower for, gosh, at that, I was 40 when I got divorced. I'm 50 now. So I had been a Christ follower for 26 years at that point. So I went 26 years without really understanding what forgiveness was on a yeah. really deep level. And one of the things that I have discovered since then is when you've hurt someone else and you've been hurt very deeply and you begin the process of forgiveness, first of all, it starts with you. But when you do that, your ability to be able to forgive other people for things that they do increases exponentially. I can't begin to tell you uh, how easy is not even the right word. I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing it justice. I can't think of a better word right now, but, but how much easier it is now if, if I get offended or hurt by somebody in some way, 
very rarely do I hold on to that at all. It's like, you know, it is life is way too short to be holding these kinds of grudges over stupid, stupid things and a mistake that somebody else made, knowing it was it was not intentional. They were not trying to hurt me. But even if somebody was, so what? Yeah. John, I got to tell you, forgiveness, I, I tell people this, for me, it led to freedom. Yes. Forgiveness led to freedom and it allowed me because the misnomer in the forgiveness world, if you will. In fact, I'm writing the, that down. Forgiveness, forgiveness leads to freedom. Is, it leads to freedom. In, in the misnomer in the world and from a worldly perspective is that unforgiveness, if you will, or forgiveness is justified because it's about the other person mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and what they did. So there's right. a grudge and they need to feel what we're feeling and they need to be, you know, we need to show them how angry we are and get back at them revenge. I mean, that's the society that we live in. It really is. And, oh. and most people, Christians too, for that matter, a lot of times don't disagree with that. Like, do you see what that person did? They deserve to rot. They deserve to, to pay. They, and listen, justice is important here when a person commits a crime or does something terrible and they should pay for it, but that's not for you and I to decide right forgiveness is not about the other person it's about ourselves Mm -hmm. we're the ones that are stuck in the prison Mm -hmm. of shame anger bitterness this bondage these these sort of chains that wrap around us and keep us held down when we choose not to forgive but when we choose to forgive that's where the freedom is 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 it's just there it's like this weight comes off you and you don't have to hold on to anyone else. You're not holding anyone hostage anymore. Mm -hmm. There's a great quote by Lewis Meads. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that the prisoner is me. Yeah. That's what it is. When we, when we don't forgive, we're the ones that are stuck in in this prison of anger and bitterness, not the other person. And so that's why it's so important to forgive. I really believe that because it truly does lead to freedom. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's talk about your other book, Uniform Leadership. Yeah, just came so, out. So it, it came out very recently. Um, and it ties in with a little bit of what this particular show is about. We do talk about relationships, but we talk about revenue, which is entrepreneurship. And sure. tied in very heavily with that is leadership. And that is a, a big thing for me. I've, I've been a fan of and I have studied leadership for over two decades. Mm-hmm. So tell me more. Tell me more about the book. Tell me the why behind it. Well, the idea of studying leadership is something I've been really a fan of and, and just devouring over the past, I don't know, six years, maybe a decade or so, 10 years ago, I think was the first real leadership book that I read. Now it's just blown away by it. It's a book called um, Lead for God's Sake by Todd Gongwer. And I'm reading it on an airplane going to Dallas of all places to cover the Super Bowl. And I read this book in two hours and I very rarely read, especially at that point. I would say now I read a lot more, yeah. uh, but I read this book in two hours and I'm like, this is fascinating and it's a fable. So it tells this story about a coach who struggles with um, the idea of getting what he wants as a coach and the, this little, you know, super nugget that comes out of the book is that it was never about him. It was about others and mm. how leadership is serving others. And so it started this me on this journey of servant leadership for the next 10 years and really reading a ton of books. People like John Maxwell, Simon mm-hmm. Sinek, yeah. John Gordon, who I'm, you know, who wrote the forward to my to this book and is a friend of mine. And I just started really understanding what leadership was, true leadership, which is serving. Mm-hmm. And the idea when you write one book, 
usually somebody comes and says, Hey, are you going to write a second book? Uh, <laughs> and that's what happened here. Um, sure. So I started to put the idea together of what a second book would look like. And I kept coming back to my time at ESPN. I had so many stories and so many different um, interesting, I think, experiences that might find that people might find, you know, interesting for them to read and, mm-hmm. and engaging and entertaining or whatever you want to say. And with a lot of famous people and famous athletes. So I thought, well, maybe I could write a story about some of my time with these famous athletes. Mm-hmm. So I started to put these ideas together and uh, we were going to call it tales from the ESPN car wash. That was the initial hmm. submission of the book because okay. the ESPN car wash is not a car, a car wash in, in its actuality of what the word is. It's actually what we call having a guest come to ESPN and spend the day at ESPN oh. and go through the ringer, if you will, of the ESPN car wash, which is all <laughs> the different shows. And okay. that was part of my job for nine years. So I thought, okay, look, maybe tales from the ESPN car wash would be fun. But then I realized as we started writing this, I'm like, I really don't want this to just be tales and stories, which are important. But again, I wanted it to come back to something that people could apply into their lives. So it's a book that you're taking notes on, that you're underlining, that you're giving to someone, that you're going through with a team, Mm. you know, whether you're a pastor or whether you're a coach or a teacher, whoever you are, if you lead a small team, lead a big team, this book, I wanted to be one where you could go through it with your team. And it's written that way with questions at the end and putting the uniform on. And so the idea of the uniform of leadership came from taking the stories of my time at ESPN, but then what's the leadership lesson that I learned from each of these people. Mm, mm-hmm. And these lessons are really timeless lessons, right? They're, they're, they go all the way back to scripture again, going back to the Bible and looking at Jesus, who is the greatest leader that we've ever seen. And then there's a, there's a verse in Matthew 20, 28, where Jesus is talking and he says, listen, I did not come to this earth to be served. I came to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. And you can think about who Jesus is, whether you believe in him or not. You know, he is, uh, he claims to be, I should say, the savior of the world, the son of God. And so if that's who he is, you would think it's okay if he came to this earth and said, listen, guys, serve me. I'm God. You know, I'm here now. Just, you know, kneel before Zod, if you will, if I'm using a Superman (laughs) reference, you know, kneel before me. And he didn't do that. He said, listen, I came to serve you. I came to give my life for you. And that's the essence of leadership is to serve and give your life for others. And so that's really where this book centers around now. And that's what putting on the uniform of leadership means. Every day we make a choice. We're going to wear this sort of uniform of leadership in our lives, whether we're leading our family or we're at our job or at church or wherever. The uniform, unfortunately for many of us, we wear that uniform backwards. And, you know, in most uniforms mm-hmm. in sports, they have the name of the athlete on the back of the jersey and the name of the team on the front. Right. We wake up every day, a, lo- a lot of us, including myself, and we put that uniform on backwards and we have the name, our names on the front of the jersey right. because it's about us. Sure. But you heard what Jesus said. He said, listen, I came to serve you. And so the name on the back of the jersey should remain there. It doesn't mean we, we throw ourselves out. But it means we have to, who are we playing for every day? Are we playing for the, you know, are we playing for God? Are we playing for others? Or are we playing for ourselves first? Mm-hmm. And the uniform of leadership when you wear it properly is God first, others second, and then ourselves third. Gotcha. Okay. Um, 
listeners, that fits right in with things that I've talked about on here many, many times before. In fact, I did an episode not all that long ago. I referred to it as the time for leaders to rise. So for those of you who haven't heard that episode, that's a solo episode I did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Check that one out because I, I really share my heart about leadership and how important it is right now, especially for what most would consider to be everyday people. Yeah. To rise right. up and become leaders, because in case you don't know this leaders, leadership has absolutely nothing to do with the title. That's exactly it right. It has nothing to do with the title. In fact, the best leaders I've ever met, if you were to look at their place in life, no one would look at them and think that's somebody that's high up on the, uh, the corporate ladder, so to speak. But they're people who are very effective when it comes to leading. In fact, the best leaders, their best leading is not leading down. It's actually leading up. That's right. Yeah. Very effective leaders do that. There's a lot of ineff- inefficiencies with leaders, I think. Not inefficiencies, but um, insecurities is the word I was looking for, John, with yeah. people who are <laughs> leaders who feel like the neck. if I serve someone below me, quote unquote, from the title perspective, mm-hmm. that person might take my job. I've talked to quarterbacks about a lot of this, about this a lot in the NFL. You know, if you're the starting quarterback, I'll give you an example. So with the Detroit Lions back in the mid 2000s, there was a guy named John Kitna mm-hmm. who was the starting quarterback with the Lions. You might remember him. And John was the starting quarterback. Dan Orlovsky, who many might know now from ESPN, was the backup right. quarterback. And Josh McCown was another quarterback who was in that room. So there's three quarterbacks. And John was the leader. He was the starter. And I asked Dan Orlovsky one time on the show I do, I said, how was John as a quarterback, as a starting quarterback and as a mentor for you? And he said, he taught me everything I know about the quarterback position, but even more, he taught me so much about what it means to be a man, a man of God and to serve. Hmm. And I said, and I asked John once I had him on the show too. I said, John, help me understand in the NFL as a starting quarterback, you know, NFL stands for not for long, right? If you start, you know, throwing interceptions, or even if you get hurt, you might lose your job. So why would you impart your wisdom onto the guys behind you who are trying to take your job? And he was amazing. He said, listen, this is my purpose is to try and keep my job and be the best quarterback I can. But if my purpose is just to be a good quarterback, then what am I doing? Mm -hmm. My purpose is to serve and help others. And if I got two quarterbacks who are chomping at the bit, not only to take my job, but to learn from me, then I have a responsibility to teach them yeah. and to share with them and to serve them. And I thought, wow, what an amazing, you know, example, I think of what leadership's all about, but how you and I, like you said, everyday people can do that in our lives. Cause we're scared. A lot of us in our jobs, especially are scared. Somebody behind us might take our jobs if we help them, mm-hmm. but that's not the case. You know, when we help them, we're actually helping ourselves too. Oh, it makes us better leaders and people see that. Oh, yeah. So it, it, you might not get the accolades, first of all, ever, but That's right. certainly not right away. But it does come back, folks. It does come back to you. Absolutely. All right. So let's talk a little bit about relationships and relationship building. You didn't get as far as you did at ESPN without, okay, 
everybody, no matter what your job is, there is a certain amount of, and it feels slimy to say it this way, but everyone will understand, there's a little bit of schmoozing that you have to do. Sure. You just kind of have to do that. There but absolutely <laughs> schmoozing really is relationship building headed in the wrong direction more than anything. So if we back it up a little bit where we did, it doesn't get slimy and feel weird where it's just about building relationships with people. It kind of goes back to what we just got through talking about what you mentioned that John Kitna was doing with those two other guys that were behind him on the depth chart. And he was investing in them. Mm -hmm. I mean, yes, he was teaching them about what it meant to be a quarterback in the NFL, but he was teaching them way more than that. He was teaching them about, you know, how do you live your life? How is mm -hmm. it that you, how can you be a man in today's society? And I think many times when it comes to leadership, that's what we have to do as leaders. And when it comes to building relationships with other people, it's about, okay, let's take me out of the equation. If my focus is only on the other person, then I don't have to schmooze because people can see that I, it's about them and that's what i care about and you can't you can't fake that you can't no you can't and i think you know you mentioned the word schmooze which is a funny word i hadn't heard that in a long time but it's the right word for a lot of people unfortunately i mean even me i think back to 2008 and i'm eight years into my i'm halfway through now that i look back my 18 or 17 year career at espn and I was focused on becoming a producer at that point. And mm. this is just title. When I say that I was, I was a producer, I was a talent producer, mm. but I was trying to become producer one, which was the title. And that meant line producer and running a show. And it meant a status and a, a job profile that you would take up, you know, move up to the next level. So I was so focused on that. So I was schmoozing with those people who would hire me potentially to be a producer one. And I was in their offices and, you know, they were telling me, Hey, you're going to be a producer one and, you know, training me and giving me opportunities to produce shows. And I was so caught up in that and caught up on climbing the corporate ladder mm -hmm. that the actual job that I had, which was talent producer, mm -hmm. I was completely neglecting it, completely oh. neglecting it. And there was four people who I worked with as a talent producer who were depending on me to do my job. Mm. And in many ways, like I would depend on them to do their job. And I was slacking. I didn't even see it. I was so blinded by the idea of climbing the corporate ladder that I missed right in front of me, the opportunity to serve my team because mm. I was so focused on me. Yeah. And so schmoozing, why, why, while it wasn't bad per se, it took my focus off of others and put it on myself. And the relationships that I started building, when I started focusing on others and just serving them, man, everything changes. And I went from schmoozing to just really serving, I guess, and putting myself or taking myself out of the equation and putting others in place. Again, doesn't mean I neglected myself, but right. it just means that I wasn't so focused on me, me, me. I wasn't wearing that uniform of leadership backwards. I started to realize, oh, it's about others. And unfortunately, that moment or that breaking point for me was my 2008 review at ESPN. You get a year-end review mm. and you get a mid-year review. Okay. And it was in the middle of the year, I think it was May of 2008, that I got this mid-year review and it was scathing. It was 
awful. It was, Jason, you're so focused on yourself. Jason, you're not doing the job that you've been hired to do. Jason, why are you consistently thinking about this job that you don't have when you should be thinking about the job that you do have? I mean, it was, it was intense and it was in my face and I'd never got a review like that since. And I never got a review like that before that moment. So I didn't know what to do and I didn't expect it either, John. I mean, it was, there was no heads up before this review that you were doing this. It was just read this and have your mind blown on how much of a mess you are right now. Okay. And uh, I took it hard. I really did. So I started asking like, what can I do? What am I doing wrong? How can I get better? And it's so simple. I completely missed it, you know, for a couple of years there, yeah. it was take yourself out of the equation here. Think about the team that you're here to serve and serve them. Mm. And that was it. And I, once I started doing that and really started focusing on others, that's when the blessings came, which is really weird to say. It's not like I was, you know, it's some prosperity gospel thing that you, you give because you're expecting to get more. No, I was giving and serving because that's where I got the most joy. But through that, the blessings came. And then I got these opportunities to get promoted and to, to have these opportunities to leave even ESPN. But I wasn't looking for them. You know, I wasn't trying to climb this corporate ladder and schmooze with all of these people. I was just serving. And then these opportunities came. Yeah, I have found over the years many times that when I am trying to pursue those things, I mean, it's like the faucet just shuts off. Yeah, it's, it's as dry as it can be. And then when I take the focus completely off of me and I don't care about the results for me, that's right. That's right. You know, I care about results for other people. But when sure. I don't care about my own results, floodgates open. That's right. They just do. It's a fantastic principle to live by. Well, when you, it's, it's not that you don't even care about the results because you always want to do good work and you always want to right. Right. pursue excellence. That's kind of how I am. And listen, results are okay. But enjoying the process and understanding that, you know, maybe the results won't be what you expect but are you giving your best effort? Are you serving? Are you doing this to serve, you know, not only God, but to serve others and to be focused on, you know, uh, being available to others to, to put them first, then the results will come on um, whatever those results are. That's the, that's my definition of success is serving mm -hmm. others. And people look at success and say, well, you won five Super Bowls or you worked at ESPN for 17 years. And that's great. And I'm very thankful for that. I didn't win five Super Bowls, by the way. That's that's an NFL player who might have done that. I did not right. uh, because I never played in the NFL. <laughs> but that's what we view as success. But really, success is about how did you impact someone else? Yes. How did you impact someone else? That's success. Sure. And if one person read my book and people were like, well, that's a failure. But that one person read a book and, and became a better leader or learned to forgive someone who really hurt them that's success to me. Like that's, that's why I wrote the book to impact one person. And if it impacts a million, great. I hope it does. Mm -hmm. But if it's one, then that's okay too. Love that. Love that. So let's talk a little bit about home life because okay. when you transitioned out of ESPN into whatever that new reality was, at least in the early days, you were, an entrepreneur essentially at that point, because you were, you were a W nine, right? That's right. Yes, I was <laughs> back then. So, yeah. which is very different than W two. And if you, if folks, if you don't know the difference between a W nine and W two, we need to have an offline discussion because <laughs> I don't even know how you got to listening to this particular <laughs> podcast. But yeah. anyhow, that's, <clears throat> I'm teasing by the way, 
but anyhow, so you were W9 at that point. Uh, and it was, there was no COVID at that point. So what was life like in those early days in that transition? What was home life like and how did that affect work life? Home life back at that, it's funny because, you know, I would, again, 17 years at ESPN, you built up a lot of equity. Um, you're, you're working for Walt Disney's company because Disney owns ESPN. So you have all of these benefits that come with working at a place like ESPN. When we're talking about free Disney tickets for 17 years, we're talking about all of the benefits, the 401k, um, you know, just the perks that work that come with working at a place like that. Those were all gone. That's yeah. why I tell people, I really wrestled with this decision. Sure. It wasn't an easy decision to walk away from all of that, you know, a six figure job to not making six figures. When I, when I left, I, I took a 40% pay, pay cut to leave ESPN, which didn't make any sense because it was my choice. It wasn't somebody else's choice, but I just felt like God was calling me to, to, to take this step. And I didn't know what a W nine was. If I'm being completely honest, John, I mean, I'm, I wasn't one of those people that might be stumbling on your podcast and say, Oh yeah, of course I know what it, I didn't know what the difference was. I really had to learn all of this. What is the W nine? Cause I was on a contract position. Um, you know, it was, you know, I had to do my taxes four times a year, quarterly taxes. Uh, I had to, you know, get an accountant and help explain to me what this is. I had to really be more, yeah. um, specifically, uh, intentional about paying, paying attention to my taxes and money I was making, where was it going? Um, it was an interesting time because I also left a, a place that was 4,000 people on mm -hmm. campus and I was doing what I'm doing with you now. I was sitting in my house in my spare bedroom, which I created into an office and working from home and mm -hmm. traveling a little bit here and there. But initially there wasn't a lot of that either. So it was a different, different time, you know, and a different, it was a big adjustment just in terms of the work, the work itself was for me kind of the same. I hate to say it like that. I mean, it was different, but the same. It was yeah. content creation. It was editing. It was booking guests, doing interviews. You know, a lot of the stuff that I've been around for so many years, but now it was just me. Mm. I had a team of one, not a team. Of, I mean, I, I was working for Sports Spectrum and still am. And that's a team of about uh, four or so that work on Sports Spectrum and 15 or so that work for the entire company. So it's not big. Right. But I was working in my house by myself on this, you know, on this project. And, you know, there are a lot of people in this team that I just went to work with, with sports spectrum that didn't really know media a lot. So I'm looked at as the guy who quote unquote has the answers. There was a lot going on there, but then the home life. So yeah. the home life, my wife is home. She works from home as well for an insurance company. So she yeah. and I are both home now all day long. Yeah. She's down in the basement. I'm up in the spare bedroom. So we cross paths a couple times a day, but <laughs> Still, at the same time, we're both home. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what that did allow me to do, John, and I, I'm not ever going to regret this, was when I left ESPN, my daughter would have been 12 years old. She's 16 now. Yeah. And uh, just go, she was about to turn 13. That's when she started getting into volleyball. She started getting really heavily into softball and extracurricular activities. My job right now gives me the flexibility to be able to go and stop because I control my hours. I control the work that I do. Mm -hmm. uh, I need to still make sure I'm delivering on the work, but I can stop down, turn my laptop off at three o'clock, 
and go get my kid from school or go see her game. Right. And the last three years, I haven't missed any games, you know, unless I was traveling, unless I was on the road speaking or something, which is another thing that the door opened up after I left ESPN was these opportunities to travel around the country, to speak at colleges, to speak at conferences, to speak to businesses, speak to churches mm-hmm. and their congregation and share these stories on forgiveness and these stories on leadership and ESPN. So all of a sudden, I wouldn't call myself an in-demand speaker by any means, but I would say in 2018, I think I had about 30 speaking opportunities that I traveled around the country for. So that's a pretty good amount. That's a couple of times a month. Yeah. And I had to manage that. So the difference was instead of being at ESPN for eight hours and coming home, I was home when I was home. And when I traveled, obviously I was traveling a little bit more. But when I was home, I told my wife, listen, I might be gone for three or four days at a time, but when I'm home, I'm here. Like I'm here with you guys. I'm present trying to understand that we only have a few years left with our daughter before she goes to college. And I want to be here for that. And so that's the greatest blessing in all of this, as much as I love my job and I really do love my job is being able to be present and in my daughter's life at a time when she may not want me to. Yeah, right. Because right. she's that 13 to 16 year old teenage kid. Oh, yeah. But I think she'll look back and say, Dad was around. And even though it wasn't the cool job that he was doing, like he was at ESPN, although I think my job is pretty cool now, too, she'll say, Listen, he was around and he made those decisions at a pivotal point in my life. And I'm thankful that I had this man around. At least that's what I hope she says. Mm-hmm. She may have been like, Dad, I just wanted those free Disney tickets. I wish you could have stayed at ESPN. <laughs> <laughs> But that was, that's the blessing I see in my life was that I got to spend really an incredible amount of quality time with my family and COVID even, you know, heightened that even more mm. once the pandemic hit and just being home every day in quarantine. So sure. that's the blessing. Gotcha. All right. Well, before we get to our final four, which is coming up very quickly, um, yep. we, I'm going to do two things. First, how can folks find you? They want to connect with you. They want to buy one or both of your books or, or anything like that. How can they do that? So social media is the easiest place for me, but maybe my website is a great place to start. JasonRomano.com. It's my name. Just easy to find me. But I'm also pretty active on Twitter and Instagram. I mean, you and I connected through Twitter. So yes, I'm there. My DMs and my direct messages are open. So if you want to reach me, if you have a question or you just want to get in touch, Twitter, Instagram is probably the two best places on social media. And my books are available, you know, on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and all those places that you buy books. But um, if you wanted like an autographed copy or a direct copy, we can make that happen as well. And you can just, again, contact me and we'll figure out a way to do that. Interesting that you mentioned that. Uh, We got a little further into the discussion than I was planning on to mention this part, but if you got this far listeners, that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. So if you want an opportunity to get a signed copy of Jason's book on me, this is what you need to do. You need to grab your phone. You need to take a screenshot of this episode. You need to tag Jason and me in it. And when you do that, the first person to do that is going to get a signed copy of Jason's book. I'll, I'll, I'll connect Jason with you and we'll make all that happen. So I love it, John. That's awesome. Thank you for doing that. This is great. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. I'm happy in. to do that. Happy to do that. So let's just jump into our final four. Just four quick questions to tell me the first thing that pops in your mind. Okay. Okay. Yep. All right. So why did God create Jason? 
God created me to glorify him. Okay. Gotcha. That's straight. That's the best answer I could give. Point. Love it, man. Okay. You said quick. I, I mean, I can I go did, into man. details just, about that, but that's that comes in your head. That's all right. And it, by the way, that took me about 43 years to get, but that's what it was. <laughs> right. He created me to glorify him. Okay. So. All right. Question number two, what are you doing, reading, or listening to right now that's helping you grow? Oh, I love this question. Um, I'm consistently listening to podcasts. So that's a doing and a listening. Yep. Uh, I listen to a lot of different shows. Um, so I couldn't, there was one recently, I think, uh, that kind of stood out and I need to go back and listen to it again because it was while I was on a walk and I wasn't taking notes or being able to like, yeah. you know, retain a, a ton of information, but it was a fascinating conversation with a guy named Tim Ferriss. Oh yeah. Who has had a very successful podcast and certainly yes, he does. touches on leadership. It's not the only thing he hits on so many different topics, but there's a lot of leadership in some of the interviews mm -hmm. that he does. And he interviewed Jerry Seinfeld, uh, oh, yeah. which and Seinfeld doesn't do a lot of podcasts because I listen to a lot of the podcasts, especially a lot of the big ones. And he's not one of those guys that are on every single podcast. You know, if somebody mm -hmm. releases a book, I'll use an example. Barack Obama right now, who's, you know, obviously a president. But if you just go around to the big shows, whether it's Jimmy Fallon or Ellen or, you know, the big podcasts, the ones that are getting eight to 10 million downloads a month. Right. He's on all of them. He's right. been on all of them and I get it because he's promoting a book and it's yeah. been a great opportunity for him to get on all those. Seinfeld just wrote a book. He's not on all those shows. He was on Jimmy Fallon. It has to be by choice. Place I could find him. Right. It has to be by choice. And he's really picky, I think, or selective about who he's going to, you know, appear with and the shows that he's going to do. And he was on Tim Ferriss's show. So I was fascinated just because it was Seinfeld. Okay. But then you start listening and they both talk about the process the process of writing, the process of comedy, the process of putting together a book, the process of writing comedy, writing jokes, the process of life and lessons, and even uh, the process of uh, fitness and staying in shape. Jerry's like 65, which I couldn't believe that he's 65 years old, wow. yeah. but he's now more into fitness than he ever was when he was 30 or 40. So there was so much to it. Mm -hmm. that I need to go back and listen as I tell you this, John, because it was a fascinating, fascinating hour and 15 minutes, I think, interview that I, I was, again, on my walk with about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And uh, now the snow is on the ground, so there ain't no walking anymore. So I got to go back and listen and, uh, and take some notes because it was a fascinating conversation. All right. Uh, question number three, and this is kind of a two-part question. What do you do for fun? What do I do for fun? Uh, there's a lot. I think I get a lot of joy out of small things. I mean, I, I like doing things with my family. I like okay. spending time with my family. I can't wait to, to see my family over the holidays and spend time with them and, mm. and see them. And, you know, with COVID, that's been hard to do with my extended yeah. family. Uh, there's two things that come to mind. So this is what is a, is a, it's like I'm 10 years old again, but this is what I like to do. YouTube is very good for finding old clips of oh. things that were around when there was no VCRs or there was no internet. And, you know, I like, like I told you, I'm a big Dallas Cowboys fan. So mm -hmm. I've been recently, because the, the current form of the Dallas Cowboys are not a very good team, <laughs> I will go back and watch like clips from like 1982 NFL games oh. and 
just remember what it was like to be nine years old watching these games. Right. And thankfully YouTube has a ton of games on there. So that's something, and I really get a lot of joy out of that. That's just me personally. So that's a lot of fun mm -hmm. for me, especially if I'm just killing time. Yeah. One of the things that my wife and I and my daughter do that we really enjoy every day and we bond over during dinner time. First of all, we try to have dinner together, especially now during COVID, like there's no excuse. So mm -hmm. we're sitting down and we're having dinner together. And we have this Alexa device from Amazon that oh, a lot yeah. of people have. And so we just ask Alexa every time at dinner, can you play Jeopardy? And uh, there's a Jeopardy game on Alexa and it plays a game of Jeopardy. It has 12 questions. You go through mm -hmm. them. And uh, we like doing this because it keeps us engaged together, but it's also challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, they'll ask a question and then we have basically, you know, 10 seconds to answer it. So we'll look at each other and who has the answer. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we can, we can stall and delay it a little bit, but we'll go around and ask each other, Hey, do you know this? Do you know this? We try not to cheat and we just try to answer the question as best we can. And it's fun. Like it's only about 10 minutes, John, but that time at dinner is something we've created this memory now for the last couple of years mm. that when Sarah moves out, I know my wife and I are going to miss that. Oh yeah. It's just a little time together. So we get a lot of joy out of that too. Awesome. Awesome. All right. And we'll wrap it up with our final question. What are you most grateful for? I am most grateful for the fact that I'm still alive, I guess, and able to be, uh, you know, hopefully someone that can inspire and encourage people at 47 years old. Mm -hmm. um, I'm grateful that God, I believe, has, has blessed me in a way that I could never have imagined or directed this path, you know, I could not have put this plan together and it's taken me to where I am. And this is not where I would have ended up if it were my plan. I just know that. Um, so I'm really, truly grateful to God for his blessings and for who he is and what he's done for me in my life. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you very much for taking some time to be with us today to share a, li a little bit about you and about your story, about the books you've written, the life you've led. Uh, quite inspiring, my friend. And uh, just keep doing what you're doing. You can't wait to find out when the next book comes out, because it'll be very interesting to see what that one's about. See, I'm putting it out there now. Uh, John, that's a lot of pressure. I don't want to write a third book. I didn't want to write a first or a second book, just being honest. But See, uh, just I'm open right to it with the pattern. <laughs> I'm open to it here. That's what the Lord wants. Let's go, man. Let's go. We'll see. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, brother. You bet. Listeners, thank you very much for tuning in today. And we'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to Relationships and Revenue. I'd love to get your thoughts on the show. Two ways you can do that are to give us a rate and review and or connect with me on social media. You can find me at John Hewlett. Thanks again for listening, and remember, passion gets you started, purpose keeps you going. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Bye.